The following sermon, entitled Growing Up Unto Christ, 21st in the series on the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the evening of July 17, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Tonight we take up again our series in the book of Ephesians, and thus we read Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we will read the first 16 verses. The text for this evening's sermon will be verses 14 through 16. This is the Word of our God. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We end our Scripture reading at that point. The text for this evening's sermon is those last three verses, 14-16. through 16. Let's reread those. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. In these verses, the Apostle Paul brings to a conclusion the application he has been making 
directly concerning the unity of the church. You will remember that the book of Ephesians, like many of Paul's epistles, has two halves. The first half, chapters 1-3, through gave us primarily doctrinal instruction. And now, in the second half, chapters 4-6, through the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, is applying those truths that the focus is on the practical now. And at the outset of that practical instruction, the Apostle Paul began by applying the truth of the unity of the church. We are one in Christ Jesus. and Therefore, as a church, we are to live like it. And thus, the Apostle Paul called us to endeavor to keep the unity in the church. That is, manifest that unity and maintain that unity. That was verses 1-6. through But then the Apostle Paul went on to recognize that within that unity of the church, there's a diversity. Especially a diversity of gifts that are given to each member from our ascended Lord, which gifts are to be used then in the service of the rest of the church. That was verses 7-10. through Then the Apostle Paul went on to identify one specific gift in particular, namely the gift of office bearers. For us, the gift of pastor and teacher as well as elders and deacons. For it's through the office bearers that the church is perfected, that the members are edified, and that too then serves the overall unity of the church. And all of that is with a view That was verses 11 and 12. And all that was with a view to the ultimate goal that the Apostle Paul has here in mind that's expressed in verse 13. The ultimate goal being that we would all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All of that concerns the application of the unity of the church. And now in verses 14-16, through the Apostle Paul wraps it all up by pointing out the need for those within the church to grow spiritually. To become mature Christians. And that is indeed the main idea of this particular passage that comes out in each of the three verses that make up the text. Verse 14 states it negatively, that we henceforth be no more children. Verse 15 states it positively, that we may grow up into Him in all things. And then verse 16 repeats the positive at the very end that the church would make increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That is, this passage is all about spiritual growth, becoming a a mature Christian. And that has direct connection to the immediate context. Because the Apostle Paul has just said the the ultimate goal is that we would arrive at this perfect man. Well, how do we arrive at the perfect man? By growing. By progressing so so that we do not remain spiritual children. But over the course of our lives, we grow in every aspect of the Christian life. 
And now I trust you recognize that this passage is therefore appropriate to consider as an applicatory service in connection with the administration of the Lord's Supper this morning. For the whole point of an applicatory service is to set before us how to live a thankful life of gratitude as those who partook or witnessed the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this morning. We respond saying, what shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits to me? And this verse, these verses give us an answer. Our God would have us to grow spiritually. So it's with that in mind that we consider this passage, Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16, using as our theme, growing up into Christ, right from verse 15, that you may grow up into Him. First, we'll look at the meaning from a general point of view, then the specifics, the, the main ways that we're to grow according to this passage, and then finally, the place that is the, the context in which this growth takes place. As Christians, we are meant to grow. Which means, negatively, we must not remain children. That's where the passage begins. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. And I trust you all recognize the need for such a word. Because it can happen, sadly, that those who have arrived at adulthood, at least from a physical point of view, still behave themselves very much so like children. This can be true from a general point of view. This is something we can see when we look at the world around us that we can look at a particular person and from every appearance, you would assume this is an adult, someone who is mature, but you look a little longer and it does not take long to recognize This person still acts like a child. This person has never grown up. And and as tragic as that is to see in the world around us, it's even more tragic when we see it in the church. When we see individuals who have been in the church for many years or who have grown up their entire life in the church, but from a spiritual point of view, are still but children. This is exactly what the writer to the book of Hebrews addresses. In Hebrews 5, verse 12, when he wrote, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. That is, he's saying, I feel like I have to go back to the basics, to the ABCs. I should be giving you spiritual meat, but the diet you seem to stand in need of is is milk. The diet for a, a newborn Christian because evidently the Hebrew Christians to whom he was writing had betrayed a a lack of maturity from a spiritual point of view. And this is indeed a danger in the church. That though we've been a a Christian for many years, though we've we've grown up the whole 
our entire life in the church, we've never grown up spiritually. We're still infants from a spiritual point of view. That's a danger. So is that you? Is that me? Do we still have an infant's understanding of who God is and His character? So that we view Him as this cold, austere deity who we have to buy off, as it were? Do we still have fundamental misconceptions concerning the Gospel of Jesus Christ so that in our hearts, and even if only subconsciously, we're still trying to earn our way back into God's favor? Do we still respond to the trials of life as well as to the little inconveniences that we encounter day after day with a lack of faith and trust? Do we still walk in the same besetting sins that we've walked in our entire lives long? Do we still view coming to church and having our devotions as nothing more than a burden? Do we still have the understanding of a Sabbath day's rest to be referring to physical rest so that we view the Sabbath as simply a day to get caught up on sleep. All this is to ask, have we grown up from a spiritual point of view or are we but children still? The Word of God that we have in front of us tonight is that we ought not be children anymore. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. Grow up, says Paul. Do not allow yourself to stagnate as a Christian. To plateau in your Christian life. Do not allow your Christian life to be always on the background or always on the periphery. But instead, there should be growth. Spiritual growth. There should be evidence of growth. A progression. So much so that others should be able to see it. They should be able to see our progress in the Christian life. So from a negative point of view, God's Word to us is be no longer children from a spiritual point of view. And that brings us to the positive in verse 15 speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. God would have us to grow. And now, specifically, as believers, we are to grow into Christ. That's the language of verse 15. May grow up into Him. That is, we are to grow in union with Christ becoming more and more like unto Him from a spiritual point of view. 
Growing, therefore, means growing in conformity to the image of God's Son. It means looking like Him more and more from a spiritual point of view. And now we do know what Jesus Christ looks like. God's Word tells us plainly. We know, for example, that Jesus Christ was not one to be tossed to and fro. To become easily swayed or moved from a course, but He was one who walked with unwavering commitment to go into the cross of Calvary in order to accomplish our salvation. If we want to know what our Savior looks like, we turn to the Word and it reminds us that He was a humble servant willing to get down on His hands and knees and watch the dirty, stinking feet of His bickering disciples. We want to know what He looks like. We turn to His Word and we see that He was one who submitted Himself perfectly to the will of His Father saying, not My own will, Lord, but Thy will be done. And what is more, we know that He is the the emblem of self-sacrificial love. And that He laid down His life for His friends. And then He gave Himself up to the death of the cross. That's what Christ looks like. And we could give many different, we could expand this and give many different facets of what our Savior looks like. And the point is to say, growing up into Christ means growing in conformity to Christ. So that just as Christ was one who was not tossed to and fro, so we too must be those who are steadfast, who persevere in the Christian life. It means we must be willing to serve others to perform the lowliest task in the home or in the church. It means submitting ourselves to God and His will and to all those whom He has placed in authority over us. It means serving in a self-sacrificial manner, giving of our time, giving of our resources, giving of our energy for the good, for the sake of others. And again, we could add so much more of what it is to grow in conformity to Christ. That's the idea of growing up into Christ. And now this happens only as those who are in Jesus Christ, united to Him, and only as we partake of Jesus Christ by faith. In other words, what's standing behind this is that blessed truth that the Apostle Paul has been emphasizing again and again and again throughout the whole book. We are in Christ. We are united to Christ. And it's only because that's true that it's possible for us to grow up into Christ. For you see, spiritual growth is something that takes place by faith. It's only as we embrace Jesus Christ, it's only as we partake of Him, that is, it's only as we eat of His flesh and drink of His blood by faith that we receive the nourishment that we need as Christians to grow and to develop from a spiritual point of view. That means if we're looking to grow, that means we must look to Christ. For in Him is is found not only our example, 
But in Christ is found the desire to grow as well as the power to do so. So God's Word to us is that we, may, that we would grow up into Him. Into Him. But now the Spirit led Paul to add that we may grow up into Him in all things. In every respect. In all points. That is, we are not to be imbalanced Christians, but we are to to grow in every aspect of the Christian life. And that means growing in knowledge and understanding. Of course, that has to be a part of it. Because a part of faith is a certain knowledge. And if our faith is ever going to get stronger, that means we need to grow in knowledge and understanding. That means growing in our grasp of the truths of God's Word. It means growing in our understanding of the, the Reformed faith as it's set forth in our confessions. It means growing in our ability to see how it all fits together. How all the different parts of God's Word fit together. How all the different aspects of our faith are all connected together in Jesus Christ. So we must grow in knowledge and understanding. We must grow also in our spiritual affections. And our feelings and our emotions. If you ask, what do you mean by that? Perhaps it's easiest to respond with a different question. Are you growing in your appreciation for the good news of the Gospel? Are we still moved by the wonder of it all. That God gave His Son, His only begotten Son, to die on the cross of Calvary to redeem us from our sin. Because the alternative is that we hear the Gospel proclaimed and we think as we sit in the pew, I've already heard this. I've heard this my whole life. Why do I need to hear this again? Well, if that's what we're thinking, it betrays that we are still children from a spiritual point of view. It's a terrible thing when we lose that sense of wonder when we're not growing in our appreciation and in our sense of astonishment at what God has done for us in Christ. We must grow in our spiritual affections as well. And growing in all things also includes growing in our behavior and our Christian conduct. So that there's growth in our battle against sin. To be sure, we'll always battle. We'll never fully conquer sin, but there should be growth so that sins that we've walked in with, over time we progress so that we fall into them less frequently or we do not fall so deeply into them each time or if, by, if God grant it by His grace, we turn away from that sin altogether. Growth includes not being so distressed, not being so disturbed by the, the trials that come upon us upon, or the inconveniences that we face day after day. It means not being so easily turned aside and having our whole day disrupted and our faith go down the tube for a moment. 
That's what it means to grow up into Him in all things. Now this Word of God comes to all of us, really. Whether we are young or old, there's not one member in the congregation who can say, I've reached a point where this no longer has application for me. That means even the most spiritually mature members of the congregation recognize I have need of spiritual growth even at this point in my life. But that said, there is special application for the young people and the young adults of the congregation. Young people and young adults, you have grown physically. Your bodies have developed. Your mental capacity has increased and you have developed many different gifts and abilities. But have you grown spiritually? Or are you still but children? And perhaps to get at that, we could ask some further questions. Young people and young adults, what is it that governs your lives? Is it God's Word? Or is it maintaining your post streak on whatever social media platform you prefer? Are you most concerned about what God thinks about you and doing that which is pleasing to Him? Or are you more concerned about what others think of you and how many likes and how many follows you have? How do you spend your time? Is it taken up entirely with a screen in front of you? Is it hours and hours and hours playing video games? Or are you able to set that aside and focus on spiritual matters for a time? Are you able to say with the Apostle Paul that bodily exercise profits little, but godliness and exercising ourselves unto godliness is profitable unto all things? Or is it still the case that bodily exercise is more important to you than godliness? Is your idea of cool being able to get together with your buddies and drink a lot on a Friday night? Or is your idea of what's important growing from a spiritual point of view? Young people and young adults, it's time to put away childish things and childish thinking. Grow up into Him in all things. And don't you want this? When you think about what He's done for you, when you meditate on everything covered in chapters 1-3 through and the fact that He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, in heavenly places.
does that not make you want to follow Him? To imitate Him? To take up your cross? To lay down your life? And to grow from a spiritual point of view? Our God would have us to grow whether we are young people, young adults, or in the latter stages of our life. That's the main truth of this passage. But now, having considered the main point from a general point of view, we want to look at two specifics. Two particular areas that are mentioned here in this passage as areas in which we are to grow from a spiritual point of view. First, we are to grow in doctrinal stability. Doctrinal stability. That's the second half of verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. This verse is a reminder of the danger of false teaching and false teachers. Now, the Apostle Paul had certainly warned them about the prospect of facing such false teachers. He warned the elders of Ephesus when he met them on his way back to Jerusalem. You'll recall how they came down and met him. And Paul's word to them there, to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, was this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He's warning them about this threat. And this threat is so very grave exactly because of the the cunning and the craftiness of false teachers. And that's especially what the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here in verse 14 when he uses the language that he does. He says that we be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What, these, what this language is reminding us is that while there are certain errors that are blatant and obvious, that's exceedingly rare. More often, it's the case that the errors are subtle. They're difficult to detect. And that by design. False teachers are crafty. They use sleight of hand as it were. This verse speaks of the slight of men. And that word slight is interestingly the Greek word for a cube, for a dice that you would roll in a game. And it's translated as slight because it came to take on that connotation and that those who would play these games would use sleight of hand or they would manipulate their die so that they would always get the, the role that they want. The idea here is of somebody cheating in a game using these subtle, deceitful, crafty tactics. And that's being applied now to how false teachers go about deceiving the church. They use those sorts of tactics. They take a passage of Scripture, rip it out of its context, and twist it. They manipulate it to say something that it does not actually say. 
Or they appeal to scholarship and all this knowledge we have. How could you contradict what this man with a PhD says who's researched this his whole life? Or they take theological terms and give them brand new definitions, altogether different meanings than what they in fact have according to Scripture and according to the Reformed Confessions. That's a danger. And now one of the characteristics of those who are children from a spiritual point of view is that they are easily led astray. That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he says, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. He's using the analogy, the illustration of a ship that's been caught up in a storm. And that storm is first taking the ship this direction and then moving it over here. The ship is being tossed to and fro. It has no anchor to keep it safe and secure. We can readily see that Paul is drawing from his recent experiences. Remember, he's writing as a prisoner in Rome. How did he get to Rome? The last couple chapters of Acts tell us. And they tell us about the journey by sea and the storm, the great storm that they were caught up in and how they had to let go of the anchor and how the ship was moved here and there as according to the whim of the storm as it were. The Apostle Paul knew this from experience and now he takes this and he uses it as an illustration and applies it to the the immature Christian and says this is what the immature Christian's like. He's tossed to and fro by all these different errors. First he believes this lie and then he believes that lie and there's nothing There's no stability. There's no firmness. Nothing anchoring him to the truth of God's Word. That underscores the need to grow spiritually in this specific area in doctrinal stability. God wouldn't have us so that we're not so easily led astray. And thus we must grow in our ability to recognize theological error for what it is. We must grow in our ability to see through the lies of the wolves that enter into the church. And that growth is an aspect of our overall growing up into Christ. For you see, it's only when we are given the mind of Christ that we will be equipped to detect error no matter how subtle it may appear. It's the Spirit of Christ that works in our hearts such a relish for our Savior and for the salvation that He has accomplished that the moment we come across an error, there's an immediate distaste in our spiritual mouths. There's something not right here. There's something amiss, even if I can't put my finger on it. This does not have the savor of my Savior Jesus Christ. It's by growing up into Jesus Christ that we grow 
in our doctrinal stability. At the same time, Christ does use means to help us grow. That is, He does not just infuse into us theological knowledge, but instead He treats us, He deals with us as rational moral creatures, as those who have a will and who are thinking and reasoning. And that means if we're ever going to grow, it's going to take some studying. Forever going to grow, it means spending time reading. Reading good reformed literature. Reading RFPA publications, the standard bearer beacon lights. And all of that really is supplement to our studying of God's Word. Not just quickly reading a chapter for the sake of getting it done because my devotions is nothing more than a burden to me but spending time in God's Word of absorbing it, drinking it in. And now I know it can be challenging to read. It's a time in my life where the last thing you would have found me doing was reading any book, let alone good reformed literature. But as with any discipline in life, It's something you have to develop. It's something you have to grow in. And if you want one piece of practical advice for how to grow, it's put away the screen. Put away the computer. Put away the phone. Because there's nothing so distracting as having it sitting there next to you as you read. And this notification comes in and now all of a sudden I've lost my train of thought. In fact, it's even more important because the more time we spend in front of a screen, the more time we spend entertaining ourselves that way, it actually impacts our minds, our brains, the way they work so that our ability to read, our ability to focus diminishes. That only underscores the importance of setting aside the electronics, closing the screen so that I can focus on studying. And if you ask, why would I do that? Because God's Word tells us, grow up spiritually in this way by growing in your doctrinal stability. And the main way to do that is by studying God's Word and the Reformed faith. So first, we must grow in our doctrinal stability. Second, we must grow in truthful and loving speech. Truthful and loving speech. And that's the beginning of verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things. We are to speak the truth. The truth. Now, in light of the immediate context, it's evident that on the foreground here is truth concerning God. That is, on the foreground is theological truth as it's set forth in our confessions, for example. And when it says speak the truth, the idea is profess that truth over against all the lies, over against all of the errors. But though that's primary, there's a principle here. That means there's 
broader application. And speaking the truth relates not only to speaking the truth concerning God, but speaking the truth about our neighbor as well. Speak the truth, says God's Word. And it adds, make sure you do so in love. And speaking the truth in love. And we recognize why that's so crucially important. For as the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, that is, if I do not have love, I am become as a sounding brass, or you could translate that as a noisy gong and a tinkling that is a clanging cymbal. That means when we profess the truth and defend the truth, We must do so in a spirit of love. In a manner that commends the Gospel rather than detracts from it and with a motive that's Gospel-driven. It means when we speak about the neighbor, yes, one filter is asking, is this true what I'm about to say? But there's a second equally important filter of asking, Is this loving what I'm about to say? Speak the truth in love. The two go together and this is teaching us these are not mutually exclusive. They're meant to go together so much so that if you have the one without the other, it's it's practically pointless. Because truth without love has lost its grace. Truth without love is cold. It's clinical. It's Pharisaical. It's hard-edged. And love without truth is spineless. Love without truth is little more than an excuse for unfettered indulgence in this sin and in that sin. Speak the truth in love as a part of growing up into Christ. Because it's in Him that we find both truth and love perfectly united together. Because as He Himself told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a part of His very being, His very essence as the Son of God. And what is more, He's love. Love too is a part of His being. He's characterized by an eternal love. He is love incarnate. And the two go together in Christ. And now God's Word calls us to grow up into Christ by growing in this way too. So that I grow in speaking the truth. Putting aside all of the lies, all of the slander, all of the gossip. And I speak the truth out of a a commitment to it because it's a part of my commitment to Christ Himself. It means growing in our speaking words of love so that I put away the words that are meant to tear down. So that I stop saying things that are just plain mean and hurtful. But instead speak words of love because I am the object of an infinite love. And because 
Christ has so loved me, I am now going to love the neighbor. So that it's growing up into Christ in conformity to Him that then ultimately leads to this specific aspect. So God's Word has given us two specifics. Two particular ways in which we are to grow. And it also tells us the place where this growth takes place. The context for this growth. That very simply is the church. And the body of Christ. And that's evident from verse 16. Verse 16 reads, from whom, referring back to Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And now as we dive into verse 16, it's worth Admitting, this is arguably one of the most complicated sentences in all of Scripture. This is the type of verse that you read, and then after you finish reading, you wonder, what did I just read? And a part of the reason for that is what we said in the introduction, that Paul is drawing this section, verses 1-16, through 16, to a conclusion. And especially, that's especially true here in verse 16, in that He's summarizing much of what he said, and really what he's doing is he's drawing a piece here and a drawing a piece there, and he, he's trying to incorporate it all into one single verse. That's the reason for the difficulty in understanding what he's saying. And that means if we are going to understand it, we need to break it apart, break it up into different elements. And that's what we'll do very briefly here. Let's first look at it on the surface. What stands out? What stands out is he's talking about the church as the body of Christ. He comes back to that illustration for he speaks of the whole body. And he does this after just talking about Christ the head. So he's come back to the illustration that he's already introduced of the church as a body, so that each individual member is likened to a body part, each of which is connected to our head, Jesus Christ. That's what's on the surface. The first piece, the first element of this verse, where he starts, is with those two little words, from whom. Paul always seems to start here, doesn't he? And this is where we must always start. With Christ. With the head. Yes, He's already taught us Christ is the head. And so what we have here is a repetition, but it's a wonderful, it's a blessed repetition. For in beginning verse 16, this way, from whom? From Christ. He's reminding us that the church has her source in Jesus Christ. That's the idea of from. It's pointing to the source that is the life of the church, the strength of the church, the growth of the church. It all comes from Christ. And that's the starting point. That's the launching pad to the rest of the verse. And that brings us to the next element that is the basic sentence here which we need to pick out 
Verse 16 begins, from whom. And now we need to locate the subject and the verb. The subject is at the very beginning. From whom, here's the subject, the whole body. And now mentally, or if you're one who writes in your Bibles, physically, insert a little dash after body. The whole body, dash, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, dash, and now here is our verb, maketh increase of the body. So that the basic fundamental sentence is the whole body makes increase of the body. So that what this verse is teaching is that it's the body as a whole that helps each of the individual members to grow from a spiritual point of view. And it's because this is the the basic sentence that this third point is entitled what it is. It's the place, the context. Where does spiritual growth take place? It takes place in the church. Because it's the whole body that makes increase of the body. It's the other members who help us to grow. And that's true exactly because of Everything in between the dash and the dash, the parenthetical statement in the middle. So now we look at that chunk. And there's really two parts to it. On the one hand, it reminds us of our fundamental unity. From whom the whole body, there's our subject, dash, and now we read, fitly joined together and compacted. That is, we've all been united together. We're united to Christ. And that means we've been united to each other. United like Different body parts. And we recognize that with our body, it's not a bunch of random pieces all thrown together in this mishmash. But with our bodies, it's each part being given a very specific place. Connected to the other body parts in a specific way that's going to enable it to function the way God intended it to. We've been united to one another in that manner. So on the one hand, this parenthetical statement in the middle underscores our unity with each other. But then it also goes on to speak of the fact that we are to use our gifts and abilities to serve one another. And that's the second half of the middle part of the verse when it says, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. That is, our ascended Lord, remember, from whom all this happens, all has its source in Him, He gives to each one of us not only a place in the church, but He gives us corresponding gifts. And then He gives us the grace to use those gifts and we are to use them to serve the other members of the body. And it's in that way then that the whole body maketh increase of the body. So that the point here is that spiritual growth takes place in the church, in the body of Christ. And now there are reasons for this. On the one hand, this is true because It's in the church 
that we have the ministry of the Word and sacraments. And we bring this that up because of the broader context, going back to verses 11 and 12. What was one of the gifts He gave? He gave some pastors and teachers. That is, He gave men to preach the Word. To administer the sacraments. And that's still in view when we come to verse 16. And it ties into the idea that spiritual growth takes place in the church because it's in the church that we have Christ set forth before us then. It's in the church that we hear Christ Himself speaking to us through the preaching. It's in the church that we have Christ and His sacrifice set forth visibly before our eyes in the sacraments. It's in the church that we hear false doctrine exposed. It's in the church that we hear the truth set forth over against that false doctrine. And thus, it's in the church that spiritual growth is going to take place. But that's true on the other hand also because of the role of the rest of the body to help us in our growth. You see, it's not just the minister and the other office bearers who help us to grow, but remember the basic sentence, the whole body maketh increase of the body. It's telling us we need each other. God uses us as instruments, as tools in His hand to help the other members of the church grow because it's the other members of the church who sometimes are the ones who are able to recognize when we are caught in a spiritual rut. When our spiritual lives have stagnated. And they're able to point that out to us, to bring that to us, speaking the truth in a loving manner. It's the other members of the body that hold us accountable as we seek to walk the straight and narrow way to heaven. It's the other members of the church who help us grow as we discuss God's Word together, as we we come together to talk about our spiritual lives. It's the other members who encourage us to walk the Christian walk even when the way is difficult. We need the body. All this means very concretely, if you want to grow spiritually, you need to be in church. And you need to be involved in the life of the church. Because you need the preaching and the sacraments, and you need to be surrounded by the other members. And it's precisely for that reason that while there may be some very rare exceptions, maybe, as a rule, spiritual maturity goes hand in hand with one's attendance and involvement in the life of the church. As one commentator put it, quote, if you think to yourself, 
that you grow by yourself without a body, you deceive yourself. End quote. That is, so long as we stand on the fringe of the congregation and the life of the congregation, we're never going to grow. Because the place, the context for spiritual growth is here as a part of the body. So may God so use this body to help each one of us grow. To grow up into Christ Jesus in all things. Amen. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Lay it upon our hearts and cause it to bear fruit in our lives. Particularly, may it bear the fruit of spiritual growth. So that as we look to Christ by faith, and as we live in the midst of this congregation, we are given from the the grace to be more and more conformed to the image of Thy Son. Hear this prayer for His sake. Amen.